When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News and coming to you live on Facebook. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today, um, as well as the background noise of his uh, crying children, is Mr Simon Murkowski. Si, um, are the little ones all right? And are you all right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Cries of joy. Just they're, they're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Oh, that's what I like to hear, definitely so. And also with us today, back again, is Mr. Alex Brotherton. Alex, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, obviously not not the best of uh, games for City on Saturday, but um, I think you'd be hard to be grumpy after what the Lionesses did yesterday. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, we will delve into both topics, no doubt about that. But And, of course, we will start off with... City's 3-1 defeat at, not Wembley, much to my surprise, but the King Power Stadium um, against Liverpool in the Community Shield. Um, Sir, you were there um, at the King Power. Um, how was it? It looked like quite a, for, for the, you know, the glorified friendly, as we discussed last week, it seemed quite a competitive game with not even, not just the players, but the fans, everyone kind of really getting involved. It seemed really did seem like the kind of the, the curtain raiser, as it's often, um, you know, billed as. Yeah, it was good. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good game of football. Um, I thought City started off pretty slow, um, but that's to be expected because Liverpool have played more more pre-season games and been training for longer. Um, they got themselves back into it. It was like, you know, it was 1-1 with eight, nine minutes to go. Um, and then two late goals from Liverpool. Like, Liverpool deserved to win, but, you know, you, I think... If you look at that City performance, you come away thinking, well, if they can play like that against Liverpool with, you know, the, the training that they've had, then another week they'll be bang up for it at West Ham. So, you know, I think there were a lot of a lot of positives um, to be had from the game, um, despite the fact that, you know, it's the, the quintuple is over. Oh, what a shame. What a shame that is. Such an early blow. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm just like, like looking at the stats. It's not as if City played bad in their own right. You know, it was it seemed like you know, City obviously dominated possession as they often do, Alex. But it seemed quite equal in the terms of shots. Um, in fact, City actually had eight on target compared to Liverpool's four. And as we'll come on to later, they should have had a shot on target at the end um, that didn't, um, you know, didn't test the goalkeeper at all, even though it should have nestled in the back of the net. So it's not like... City were bad or anything, or um, were slow out the traps, anything like that. It's just one of those games where maybe when when it is a friendly and, and the subs been made towards the end, you, you're not going, you know, you're not still giving it your all in the 80th minute. I doubt even if Guardiola is on your back and such in, you know, in the match that doesn't mean anything. But they still played really well against the second best team in the country. And when when you're playing that that well already, already in your groove, already making chances, it seems to me it's only a matter of time before the goals flow. Yeah, I feel like sort of kind of what Sai said, really. I mean, the first half they did they did start pretty slow, and 
seemed to me it was just a combination of factors, probably a fitness issue. Um, as I said, like City have only had two games before before Saturday and a few other things as well like, that I kind of sort of thought maybe like, I, I don't know about, obviously it's a combination that will happen a lot, I think, but against Liverpool, I'm not sure Mares and Grealish is the sort of ideal kind of two wingers you'd go with just um, in terms of both not really offering much going uh, sort of wide, you know, always looking to cut in and uh, perhaps not offering much support to the to the fullbacks. Obviously, we saw Cancelo have a pretty torrid time against uh, against uh, Mo Salah. But I mean, second half, I thought City looked a fair bit better, and I think I think the substitutions of um, Julian Alvarez and Phil Foden really gave them sort of a, a fresh impotence and impetus, and uh, they kind of yeah, they just looked a lot more direct and creating a lot more opportunities and. Um, I think that was when it looked like, you know, obviously Alvarez got the equaliser and then it, it did look quite an even game until until Diaz uh, gave the penalty away. So I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely not uh, not sort of an embarrassing defeat or anything like that. And in a way, you probably learn more things from these kind of these kind of games. You know, Guardiola will see areas where he, the team definitely needs to improve what they need to work on in the sort of next few days leading up to West Ham. Um, maybe might give him some pointers about you know who he's probably going to select against West Ham, that kind of thing. And I mean, I think it was still a good a good watch for City fans just to see kind of how the team's going to change because it is going to be quite different in some ways to last season with the new players coming in and the likes of Sterling and Jesus going. So, um, so yeah, as you said, it it wasn't like a disastrous performance or anything. There were parts of it where it was a pretty good performance, but um, probably where you'd expect City to be kind of at this stage of the season. I think that's it's pretty fine, really. Uh, you know, it's, you've both mentioned there there might be you know starting slow, maybe a bit of um, a fitness issue. So I, I'm I'm, I'm going to go with answer my own question like no, because it's going to be such a busy season coming up. I believe even before the Chris, the usual busy Christmas period, a lot of teams are going to be playing three times a week due to the um, the gap that's going to be going to have in November with the World Cup. But is it a bit strange that City have had such a short preseason? Now you can't really um, plan for the weather that happened in Green Bay and how that match got disrupted. Um, but they only had two friendlies before this Liverpool match. Three friendlies for a pre-season is by far the lowest of any Premier League team that I can see. Um, they came into training at least a three or four weeks after United did, as an example. Is it a bit weird how they've been so late and done so comparatively little to other teams? Or, as I said, is it just a case of not overworking them so early when it's going to be such a hectic nine months or so. Yeah, I think Guardiola knows kind of the the demands that are placed on players and also the demands that he places on players. You know, when you when you're around him, you're being trained by him, you're playing matches with him, it's it's intense mentally as well as physically. He gives his players more time off than than most other managers. Um last week last season they took a big risk by giving the players an extra week off after um the Euros and, you know, they looked sluggish at the start of the season. But they won the league uh, this summer. They've, he's given them an extra week off. We'll see. We'll see. But they certainly look like they'll be challenging for the league. And they look like, you know, they, I think it, it's hard to underestimate, like, how much the players enjoy having time off. And so, you know, if you're giving them extra time off, then they, they're going to come back in kind of with an extra spring in the step. And you see loads of players as well doing stuff, you know, as well, like like Grealish may have been partying hard, but he was still training hard 
um, before he got back to City. So they do keep up. You know, they are all phenomenal athletes. So um, I, I, I take your point about match fitness, but I kind of think it is the City way to just kind of build up slowly for these things and, and that way has brought them four Premier League titles in the last five years. So we, we shouldn't really be uh, too critical of it, I think. No, absolutely not. And I'm certain no one is underestimating how much big Jackie Grealish loves a bit of time off because what an absolute <laughs> maverick he has had the summer to die for, I must say. Um, you know, lads, we, we now have to get on to the talking point of the match, which of course was Mr. Erling Haaland. No, as there always is, as we you know, we talked, we touched on it last week, how Darwin got all the stick when he missed a sitter and had a bad touch in Liverpool's pre-season. They had all the compilations of him being a dud and lo and behold, he goes and plays really well against City, gets the decisive third goal. And Haaland has a bit of a stinker in his first match at City in England, Alex. Um, the one that's doing the rounds is, of course, the sitter in the 90th minute, which he kind of bounced off the crossbar when you'd have bet your house on him to score. It, I did love his cheeky laugh after it. He kind of like, ah, oh, for God's sake. He just knew it hadn't been his day. And to me, that's kind of, that was like a promising sign to me because it's like, he knows it's just one of them. It's not like he's ripping his hair over. It's like, ah, oh, but hell. I've not had the best start, but I imagine I'd, I'd be fearful for West Ham's centre-backs put it that way because I think he'll be uh, on the warpath um, in a week's time. Yeah, I mean... But I don't think we're going to see, you know, Erling Haaland just completely lose confidence or, or anything just because he's missed a sitter in the Community Shield. I mean, he knows how good he is. He knows that City have complete faith in him. That's why they wanted to sign him so badly and they, and they went through with the with the deal. And yeah, I mean, it's obviously it didn't go anywhere near according to plan or how he would have liked or how City would have liked on, on Saturday. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, there, there were signs. It kind of looked a little bit like he wasn't perhaps... Um, I think it just looks a bit like he's not quite in tune with his teammates and also the other way around, perhaps, because, you know, we did see a few times where he made kind of what, what would Liverpool play in such a high line. There was so much space in behind Liverpool's defence and there was a few occasions Haaland made it sort of a darting run and no one really found him quick enough um, and sort of the opportunity was gone. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I think I saw a stat where I think Haaland completed seven seven passes in the whole game or something like that very low single digits and obviously that's not going to work going forward in a city team yes city might and guardiola said city won't change their style at all i think we might see a little bit of a change but it's not going to be to the extent where it's okay for Haaland to only complete seven passes in a game that's just not going to not going to fly in a in a guardiola team so i think there's sort of work to do on both sides but again just just kind of like city's pumps in general like you can't He's only been training with his new team for a few weeks. What what were we expecting him to score a hat-trick against Liverpool or something? It's uh, Obviously, the, the miss at the end was a pretty shocking one for any player, not just the fact that it's someone with such a such a good goal-scoring reputation as Haaland, but these things just happen. You know, it's he'd had a bad... He'd had a sort of a underwhelming performance and at the end, you know, it's, it wasn't going to change the result much and he's probably just sort of leant back, kind of just expecting it to go in and he's ended up not, uh, you know maybe just a lapsed concentration. So uh, I don't think it'll affect him too much. And if anything, it might make him even sort of more hungry to um, right that wrong in the in the coming weeks. But um, yeah, I don't think, I think it's just a lot of internet overreaction, isn't it? With the um, with, with the Nunez stuff as well. And it was always ridiculous for people to to pick up on his, um, that, uh, his performance for, for Liverpool a few weeks ago. So, you know, it's just one of those things. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sai, you shared a, a really um, interesting piece from Gabriel Marcotti on ESPN. And he was correctly pointing out that, yeah, he might have missed his chances. I think he had three clear-cut ones, Haaland. But the fact that he was getting being there and was in the right positions for them, I think the piece said his, goal, his XG was one, which was more than all of Liverpool's until Salah had his penalty, which is like, it shows that it's what City have been missing, that striker who is there to finish those chances when they come. Now, obviously, he didn't quite finish them on uh, Saturday, but, you know, the law, literally the law of averages does dictate that he will eventually get them because he's been outperforming his expected goals for the last three years consistently at a remarkable rate. Yeah, it was one of those weird occasions where you come away from a stadium thinking like, have I watched the same game as everyone else here? Because I, I really didn't see that much wrong with with sort of Haaland's performance um, and sort of that that article from from Gab Marcotti pointed out that, you know, there were a number of times where he was making runs in behind that, you know, weren't necessarily maybe picked up on the cameras. But there, there are a few times, like Alex said, where, you know, they almost found him. And there's going to be so many times this season when Kevin De Bruyne has the ball, like, ahead of a defence and Haaland makes the run. And, you know, De Bruyne is going to make that that ball nine times out of 10, 49 times out of 50 on Saturday didn't. So, you know, get it out of the way in the community shield. But I think sort of a lot of what you saw was was really promising. There was that, was that moment in the first half when Bernardo hit the ball over to him and um, Andy Robertson is absolutely smashed into him. And, uh, and he's still got a shot off. And I, I sort of saw it first and I thought, he's done well to get back up from Robertson smashing into him and, and you know, still still testing Adrian. And then you've watched the replay and he's not even gone down. Robertson has sort of put all of his weight into him, gone down himself, and it's not even bothered Haaland. So um, I think, you know, the, there are a lot of signs and, you know, City defenders who've been up against him in training over the last few weeks think he's going to be huge. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I obviously the miss will get played and played. Um, but I kind of really didn't think there was too much wrong. And I think, you know, there's a lot been made of how each will have to change for each other. But I think both are really good enough that not too much will have to change mm-hmm. at all for them to start gelling and how and scoring loads and loads of goals. I think it's also promising to say that he played the full 90. He was coming off just, he didn't play against Club America, came in for the first 40, for, well, whatever, whatever the half ended up being against Bayern Munich, 40 minutes or whatever it was. And now he's come in, played 90 minutes again. And let's not forget, Virgil van Dijk, the best centre-back in the country, if not the world. Um, he's done 90 minutes. They say he's had players trying to pull axe him down and he's just bounced off like he's um, wearing bulletproof vest or something. Um, that's promising going into the season. Like We maybe speculated that he might not be starting or playing the whole games at the start of the season with you know with Alvarez coming in, who we'll talk about in a moment. But the fact that he's already got a full 90 minutes under his belt, I think is quite promising for the, the, the coming weeks. Yeah, definitely. I wasn't sure he'd play the full 90. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of lot of interest in Haaland for Man City. There's a lot of, say, like FPL interest in, in Haaland as well as whether you, you go with him or not. And I've not been fully convinced uh, because of those fitness issues rather than anything else. Um, you know, I'm going for De Bruyne at the minute instead of him. 
but um get both like me i've got kane instead oh i've got mm. Haaland, de bruyne <laughs> and grealish all in Oof. all in so you're the best true, deliver you're a true blue oh yeah <laughs> definitely, um, definitely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, more than sort of how he gels with the team, it's been his fitness, which is going to be sort of how is he going to be? And we've seen he's not done loads of training with the the team and he's been sort of in ice baths or like looking after his his uh, his muscles after training sessions. Um, but he and with Alvarez, he's not going to have to play every game. But if he can play 90 minutes after not much game time, uh, against Liverpool, then that bodes well with a full week of training and rest going into West Ham. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be very intriguing to see if he does start um, against the Hammers. Uh, Alex, you know, the player who did score, you know, the summer signing who did manage to get on the score sheet was, as you said, Elian Alvarez. Um, he came on, and I find it interesting for starters that he came on alongside Haaland and was playing, I presume, on, on the flank. Um, it's interesting to see how they linked up. And then um, I said he, he grabbed the goal. It was an instinctive finish, kind of. Um, Adrian spilled the ball under pressure from Foden, and he stuck it in the net. After didn't really get to celebrate it because I think by the time VAR had allowed it, um, he was getting an earful off Guardiola. So his his, his moment um, got uh, overshadowed a little bit, but certainly a promising start from the young lad who, from you know what we've seen so far and what we and what we've discussed previous weeks, I think could surprise a lot of people this season. Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty impressed um, with his, with sort of all three of his uh, appearances uh, so far. So obviously, Club America, I think he just, um, no one was really expecting him to, to kind of, you know, slot in kind of as quick. But um, obviously, he's got his fitness levels are probably above everyone else's because he's not really, he's come straight from the middle of the Argentinian, uh, Argentine season. So he's he's obviously in great condition already. Um he probably does seem a bit more like a, a typical Guardiola attacker than than someone like Haaland. Um, but yeah, that performance again off the bench, I thought he brought a lot of energy. Um, it was interesting, as you say, it, he was kind of up alongside Haaland, almost like a City kind of looked like they were playing a 4-2-4 almost. So with the two wingers and then uh, Alvarez kind of in the in the gap between Haaland and, um, and the right winger. So um, yeah, I thought the link-up was good. He, he looked pretty sharp in around in the box, and uh, and he seems to have developed a pretty good understanding already with um with his uh, with the city midfielders and attackers. So uh, yeah, I think perhaps there was there was one there was sort of worries that he would take a while to bed in, perhaps because of the level of the Argentine league not being sort of on the the same as the Premier League. But um, yeah, I mean maybe we just got to remember that he he was by far and away the best player in South America in in recent years. So he's obviously not as sort of below Premier League level as people thought. But yeah, really promising stuff. And um, I think it's, it's great that City have got these options. Um, obviously, they've gone from having no sort of out-and-out striker to now having two, one of whom can play on the wing if needed. They can play together if, if that's something that Guardiola wants to do. They can go 4-2-4, they can stick with the 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. You know, there's, there's lots of options now, whereas perhaps last season it was kind of 4-3-3. And, and nothing else so um so yeah i think it's is a great addition and you know what was the price it was around 17 million pounds or something it looks already is looking like a really good deal so it was your first chance to watch alvarez in the in the flesh um how how did he strike you what impression have you got from him yeah he he did very well um the one thing i got watching him i wasn't sure about his pace 
Now, it's not to say that he should have electric pace, but watching him kind of run sort of on the right-hand side of the pitch, it's kind of Raheem Sterling territory. City have obviously lost in Sterling and Jesus, two kind of very dynamic players who can um, get down the right and, and cross it in um, to, to create chances and goals. Alvarez kind of seemed to be, he didn't, didn't win many foot races um, against the Liverpool team. So, uh, sort of, not just on him, but Mares and Grealish aren't really going to do that as well. So, it kind of puts a lot of pressure on, say, Foden to be that explosive um, player on the wings to to help City do their kind of trademark attack. Um, but, you know, he, he certainly made an impression. Um, he was getting into very good positions, which is something that, that Sterling did, um, you know, finding space in the box, which is so, so important in a Guardiola team. And, you know, the, what was interesting was how much the players celebrated with him when he scored, you know, everyone and especially Haaland was so, so delighted with him because um, they had to wait as well with VAR with it being ruled out initially. Um, but, you know, they were all straight over to him and, and Haaland especially gave him this this huge hug. So um, he's clearly made uh, a very big impression on on the squad in a short space of time. Well, that's certainly good to hear. And I think, you know, we've been largely positive about how City played. And, you know, a friendly end of the day. Um, Haaland might not have his best day, but we know he'll come good. But I do think... Alex, there was a bit of a worry, and that was that that left side. So we know João Cancelo is brilliant; was one of the players of the year last season. But as you mentioned earlier, without you know, with Jack Grealish not being the most kind of proactive in coming back, he was left on his own pretty much to fend against Salah. And obviously, you're not playing against the best right winger in the league every week either. But Salah kind of ran that left side ragged, and I thought him that kind of the pairing of Ake and Cancelo was got at quite easily, and all of. Liverpool's goals did come from that side. Um, it was Trent who kind of, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I don't want to be one of those commentators who only uses first names. My apologies. Um, Alexander-Arnold kind of got late, uh, teed up and he bent a great shot in. There's not much you can do about that. But the penalty and the third goal, all, both came from Salah kind of bombing down the right, cutting in a bit and floating over crosses that weren't dealt with particularly well. Is, is that left side a bit of a worry, especially since Zinchenko has now departed? I think for, yeah, I mean, I agree with what you say there. I think for the majority of games, it's probably not a concern. But I think ideally, like when you do come up against Liverpool, um, you would be starting sort of a winger on the left. If Cancelo is starting a left back, that is going to track back a bit more than Jack Grealish does. Um, and I think, say, I think Phil Foden does that a bit more, I think, in my opinion, than, than Grealish. So, you know, uh I think in the in the sort of big games where it's either Liverpool or another team that is quite relentless with their pressing, um, or has like you know a world class one of the best players in the world on that side of the pitch, I think perhaps Cancelo, while he's a great, he's he was fantastic for much of last season. He isn't like the best sort of natural defender. Like he is much more of an attack minded uh, left back. Um, and so I think yeah, I think in an ideal world you would have someone tracking back a bit more. Um, and also, I think maybe the City's defense did look a bit, a little bit shaky. And I think another sort of not ideal thing was 
um, being without both of the, your best, uh, your two best ball playing centre backs um, in Stones and Laporte against you know such an intense press as Liverpool, like Diaz and and Ake. They're not. That's not saying they're not good on the ball, but they aren't quite as confident as the other two. I wouldn't say. So they, they always looked a little bit uncomfortable um, trying to deal with it and kind of playing through the press, breaking the lines. And I think with that, um, it, did, it also didn't help in that situation that you have got a, a sort of a natural right footer on the left who's always going to have to look to come in and perhaps not play those balls down the left channel as easily as a left footer would. So they're not massive issues, but I think, you know, in combination against a team as sort of on it and as dangerous as Liverpool, it did make things a bit difficult. So I wouldn't say it's a great issue for most, for probably 95% of games. But I think going forwards, next time they play Liverpool, which I believe is in October, um, I think, yeah, you probably look to have a bit more cover for uh, Cancelo if, if he's starting at left-back. What, what do you reckon, Sarah? Because as we kind of reported um, recently on the site, it doesn't like any deal for Marco Carrello's getting done anytime soon. And alternatives are now kind of being sought out a little bit. Yeah, it's a bit of a mess um, after what has been an, an excellent window. Um, it, yeah, basically City don't or say they won't pay fifty million for Mark Cucurella and Brighton say they um, they won't take anything less. So unless one side changes, then then that's that deal isn't going to get done. And you'd think it's more in City's interest to to change because Brighton really don't have any incentive to, um, you know, unless the player sort of does a, an odd and wingy and drives up to City's training ground. Like even then Brighton have still got the power. Um, yeah. I, you know, I can't see that in any normal season you could get through at left back with, with just having Cancelo Um you know, someone on Twitter said today, oh, well, Zinchenko only played 10 games last season, so what's the risk? And it's like, well, if Zinchenko hadn't come on against Aston Villa, then they wouldn't have won the league. Um, but it's about bodies and, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, well, Ake can play at left-back, Laporte can play at left-back. Well, Laporte's out until at least September. Ake's covering for Laporte, Stones and Diaz. You know, it's not like you... You've got loads of surplus centre-backs who can fill in at left-back because they're going to be needed at centre-back. So um, we saw Cancelo's defensive issues against Liverpool. And yeah, you're not going to see him every week, but they will pop up and teams will target that side because they, they know, you know, we saw it last season, they did this. They know that the spacing behind Cancelo because he pushes forward so much. Um, it, it would baffle me if City did not either pay 50 million for for Kukure, which I don't think is that bad a price like you know it, it's well, 45 for Ake didn't they so like, yeah 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 and and we all praised them for like holding firm on on Ake when Chelsea came in and you know demanding fair value so Brighton are just doing exactly the same um and also Brighton know that City need a left back because they've made it clear that they want to replace Zinchenko that they weren't prepared to sell Zinchenko unless they were getting someone else so to not get someone else would be kind of a failing in 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 their intentions and i you know they paid 100 million for Grealish last summer because it was his release clause because it got the deal done so even if even if you don't think he's worth 50 million you think he's worth 40 45 then you you 
you know, you've you've made a lot of money this summer. You've made a Premier League record sales. So I I don't understand why, if they think the player is worth being in the City squad, why you wouldn't pay the money. But they are they are looking at a few alternatives. But it's a bit of a mess at the minute. Why have they got rid of Zinchenko before the replacements in? Well, I mean, I think the the weirder thing would be to line up a, a replacement kind of thing. You know, that was it, it was a measure of how stretched they were at centre back. For, for Ake, they said, you know, we can't have a replacement in you. You know, they've obviously their interest in Kukurea has been there all summer um, and longer. So it's it's not like they didn't have anyone lined up. Um, it's just that the negotiation has not gone as well as they would have liked, and then they've not got sort of much else to still work on. I mean, they've still got a month of the season where, you know, they play like, what, four or five games before the transfer window, like one every week, basically. So, like we were saying, you can probably get through that month. Um, but at the same time, is Brighton's position going to fold in that time? I'm not so sure it is. So, I, I mean, yeah, the, the quicker they do it, the quicker it will appease fans. Um, they're, they're not in the business just to appease fans, but they sort of... The, the quicker it gets done, kind of the better for everyone, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, another positive from the match, at least, was that um, Ilkay Gundogan and Phil Foden both returned to action off the bench and John Stones was unused to substitute. Obviously, those three didn't travel to America for the tour, Alex. But how, how do you think, Ford, I mean, from what I've seen, Foden looked as sharp as ever. It looks like he's not missed a beat. And Gundogan, you know, just kind of continues to trot along like he always does. It doesn't seem like either of them have missed out much on not being on the tour. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that was always going to be with the case with with Foden anyway, because Guardiola said before that he's the kind of player that doesn't need weeks and weeks of preparation. You know, if he comes back from an injury, you can have two training sessions and he's ready to go for the game. Um, he's just he recovers so quickly. He's 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 just sort of um, his his body's just sort of like that. He can just be ready to go. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a decent sort of cameo performance for him. He just looked sharp as usual, and uh, yeah, I think Gundogan. Is perhaps more the, uh, you know, I think maybe missing the tour would impact him more. But again, he looked he looked pretty sort of doing his his usual thing, making those sort of um, um, uh, sort of runs into the box, and um, his passing looked pretty decent. And yeah, didn't look like he was you know out of shape or anything. He looked pretty fit and, and ready to go. So uh, yeah, I guess it'd be interesting if we if we see John Stones at some point over the next few weeks because I think. He's perhaps with Laporte being out until at least September. It will be good to have Stones, I think, in the starting lineup just for his passing and um, kind of build-up play abilities. Um, so hopefully he's not too far off the pace, and um, perhaps he could feature either at West Ham or at Bournemouth the week after. So um, yeah, I don't think it, it doesn't look like it, any of them are sort of you know lagging too far behind everyone else, um, which which is encouraging to see. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, before we kind of bring the Community Shield uh, to a close, uh, you know, Liverpool, we're not really touched much on them, but it, it, they looked really good and sharp. It had been, as we touched on last week, it had been an um, inconsistent pre-season, um, mostly because they played like, um, instead of playing the strongest 11s every week, they played kind of a combination with a lot of youngsters. But Nunes, despite his um, blister foot-induced kind of, comedy moments on pre-season. He looks to be the kind of proper focal point striker that they've not had for a while either. Just like City getting Haaland, they've gone and got Nunes. Um, Fabio Cavallo, the young lad, looks really good out wide. And they just, Liverpool just look as strong as ever and it looks bound to be another kind of 
heavyweight title clash between the both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone's been on the moon for the last five years, um, Liverpool and City are the best two teams in England. Um, Liverpool showed that again. Um, showed why they will be be pushing City all the way again in in every competition. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a good a good game of football. And um, you know, there weren't too many changes. You know, Haaland was the only new sign who started for. For City, Liverpool had Nunes on the bench. So it was largely what we saw last season, um, but then with kind of a sprinkling of of Haaland, Alvarez, and uh, and then Nunes making the difference for for Liverpool. So yeah, it was a, a very nice curtain raiser um, because it's not always the case that the the two teams who play in the Community Shield um, then go on to be the the teams that contest the Premier League and everything else. But it was kind of um, yeah, the latest the latest episode in in what has been a very enjoyable watch for years and and will be again for the rest of the season unless something bizarre happens. Oh no doubt, I imagine we're in for a lot more um, brilliant clashes between the two teams, be it in the league or any of the cup competitions. But as you said, there is a curtain raiser. The Premier League does start next week. City will face West Ham, get their title defence back on the road against not the easiest of oppositions by any stretch but what we'll do we'll talk about that match and the season as a whole on an episode later this week in a kind of a preview episode but before we bring um, today's episode to a close Alex we'd, it'd be amiss of us if we did not mention England the Lionesses is it the Lioness it should be the free Lionesses surely or not because bad never mind I'm not in the branding yeah. department <laughs> but either or either way they won the Euros in dramatic, incredible fashion at Wembley on Sunday, beating Germany 2-1 after extra time. It was um, a final and a tournament that had Greater Manchester in its core. Um, of course, personal local hero, Tilsley's on, Ella Toon getting the uh, opener for England with an amazing finish. Um, Elliot's was going mad. I'm sure she'll be glad to know. And then, of course, City's Chloe Kelly getting the winner in extra time. Iconic celebration with a top swinging above her head afterwards. And Alex, it was just absolutely incredible occasion for all involved. Well, yeah. apart from the Germans, obviously. <laughs> yeah, for mo- most of the people inside Wembley and um, the, uh, I think it was about 17 million people watched it, uh, watched it at home. Um, yeah, absolutely incredible. It was a um, really good game from the drama aside and the fact that England won, it was a really good game. Um, you know, there was periods where Germany, but England were on top from the beginning. Then uh, there was quite a big chunk of the second half where it looked like, you know, when Germany got their equaliser, it looked like they were the they had more energy. They had the they had the legs. They had the sort of uh, the measure of England. And England had a big sort of period where they, they couldn't really keep hold of the ball and didn't have much of an outlet. But then, you know, um, they kind of made a habit of digging in deep in sort of uh, you know moments of difficulty. This uh, in the tournament they did it against Spain. Uh, with um, former City midfielder Georgia Stanway scoring that incredible goal. And then, yeah, as you say, uh, Manchester played a huge... As they have done the whole uh, tournament, the two Manchester clubs put their players were at the centre of it again on Saturday um, uh, with Chloe Kelly getting that sort of scrappy winner in extra time. And uh, it's just an, it's an incredible story for her, actually. She inj- uh, she ruptured her ACL playing for City in uh, in May 2021. Only came back uh, a couple of months ago, a few months ago, I think it was in April or something like that. So best part of a year out of action. She came back for City, 
managed to make the squad and now she's um yeah probably has a good shout to have a statue built outside Wembley because it's absolutely unbelievable and um yeah hopefully this can obviously we it's great that they've won but I think it's it's really great for women's football and hopefully in the, in obviously across the whole country but in hopefully in the greater Manchester region this kind of continues the massive growth in we've seen in women's football over the last few years and you know hopefully city fans can try and get some more some more of the the women's games and you know maybe even Manchester United if you if you um if you if you want to stray to that side of the city but um yeah just an incredible incredible day incredible achievement and um yeah really great to have um city players at the heart of it mm, absolutely absolutely I think what you said there's spot on you know kind of exactly what the likes of Ian Wright and Alex Scott were saying afterwards on the BBC coverage and it was absolutely spot on it's it's an amazing moment, but now it's the time to capitalise. I'm lucky enough to do a few City Women games for the Manchester Evening News. And I don't want to say I condescend or anything, but I remember going to like my first one. I think it was a Champions League game, City against Barcelona, I think it was. And City ended up losing that day, but it was a mint match. And I think a lot of people, and hopefully the, this Euros, no doubt, has helped do that, is maybe kind of got rid of a few of the prejudice some people may have had. And But regardless of that, it's just great to have seen such an amazing game in England to actually win, you no. Know, the um, England women brought it home and it was amazing. And as we were saying there, City had, even though the likes of Lucy Bronze and uh, Georgia Stanway have since left this summer, um, if you go off kind of last season's squad, City had 10 representatives in the squad, which I will go through now for prosperity. Um, obviously, Chloe Kelly, then they have Lucy Bronze, Alex Greenwood, Demi Stokes, Ellie Roebuck, Jill Scott, Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh, Lauren Hemp, and of course, Ellen White. All, you know, you can watch them. And as I've seen pointed out many times on Twitter this um, today, it's so cheap to go to City, um, women's football, sorry. You can go to United, at least Sports Village, um, six quid, I think it is, for adults to get in. City's a similar price. So you can go and you can watch England's heroes. I'd recommend going doing it because it's brilliant. And I can speak from firsthand, as you were saying there, Alex, about the the uptake of women's football in kind of Greater Manchester. Um, my girlfriend's niece is well into her football. She, Ella Toon is her hero, as you can possibly imagine. And the, the the uptake of the game around here, from my limited viewing, is definitely on the rise. And it's great to see, Si. It was, it was an amazing moment yesterday. Yeah, yeah. The only blip, I would say, um, for you is that Ella Toon was described as Wigan's Ella Toon. <laughs> Don't do it to me. Don't do it to me. I, no, I actually... I, yeah, I, well, we both agree on that. We both agree on that. I, but, um, I, I went to an, the quarterfinal between Sweden and uh, Belgium at least Sports Village, and the yeah. anger fueling within me <laughs> that it's going to go down as Wigan and Lee, and we don't even get to go first on the billing. <laughs> it's not even Lee and Wigan. Oh, don't I get know, me started. Don't know, get me started. I'm sorry, but yeah, obviously, um, I will City, swear. City have done huge amounts for um, for growing. The game and the England team, and like Alex said, great for for Chloe Kelly that um, she's had such a, a horrible year. And not to speak ill of other England players, but I think she'd have had a much major, more bigger role in the team had she not spent so long injured. Um, but great moment for her and celebration. It was a bit like Ryan Giggs celebrating his his FA Cup goal, um, and also Kira Walsh, who is just a joy to watch and has been for for years, and is a local girl and a city fan through and through and um so many stories but she she kind of often gets um she kind of plays the Rodri role I suppose where not many people um go away thinking she's been man of the match but she's been instrumental to to the victory instead of terrific tournaments so um 
you know, amazing achievement, but just nice in, you know, a year and there's so many things not particularly great about the country at the minute, but um, lovely to see everyone unite behind an England team and that's it. It's England, it's football and it's been great this summer to see them get a real platform. Like Alex said, 17 million watching um, the final yesterday, um, cheering them on and, you know, good luck to them. And also, shows you what a very good coach can do because this England team has had potential for a number of years and, you know, Kelly was injured, Steph Horton's missed the tournament, but um, they brought in a coach who's been able to harness everything together and um, pull off something sensational. Mm-hmm. I hope uh, Miami FC are watching because just look what happens when you sack Phil Neville. Just look what happens. But yeah, um, so, you know, you you mentioned um, Walsh there and it was her past Fortune that was amazing. I just want to mention because she's in the bad books as well. Because I believe after the match, she described Ella Toon's accent as a Wigan accent. No, it's a Bongzer accent, Kira, but we'll let you off because you are, of course, a national hero along with the rest of the team. And it was great to see. And no doubt we hope the legacy continues onwards and upwards. And that was the end of this uh, today's podcast. We'll be back later on in the week to preview the forthcoming season. Um, thank you everyone very much for listening. Of course, you can get all um, our coverage of England's uh, victory and everything to do with City um, ahead of the kicking off of the Premier League over on Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester City. You can get us on Twitter at Man City MEN and on Facebook with the Manchester Evening News Manchester City Facebook page. Once again, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all very soon. Ta-ra. Mm-hmm.